So, you know how for the last couple months I've really been keying in on the stories in the scriptures. So, for instance, you know, in our in our in our community, we read through a pretty sizable chunk of the Torah, like uh, about five chapters a week, eh? And then we're also studying through the Gospels and Acts this year, so we read a pretty sizable chunk of that too. And generally, in those two um, in those two readings, you have several good stories. And I've really been um, focusing in on asking, what are those stories? And let's tell that story. And let's ask, what can we relate to in this story? Who can we relate to? Maybe an experience from our lives. What does this story tell us about ourselves as human beings and the world around us? Uh, What does this story tell us about the Creator? What does this story tell us about Yeshua the Messiah? And um, also, what do we get out of this story that's applicable? Those are the kinds of questions that, as you know, I've been asking a lot. Uh, someone on our YouTube channel this last week posed a really good question. They said, what's with all this storytelling and kind of slanging up the scriptures and stuff? And it's a good question because I'm pretty strong in the area of Bible exposition. Like, I like to take the Word of God and I like to break it down verse by verse and really get into the original languages and try and um, give the overall themes, uh, those kinds of concepts, right? So it's a pretty sudden about, about, uh, about, tra- about turn for me, I suppose you could say, to all of a sudden just kind of be going into the storytelling mode. And uh, something, something to remember is when you look at the, uh, the memoirs of Yeshua's closest disciples, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those books were not written for like a couple decades after Yeshua exited the scene temporarily, shall we say. So for a couple decades, what you have in the Gospels was not written down. How was it communicated? It was communicated through people telling the stories, people repeating the words of the Master, memorizing them, and then repeating them over and over again. And I feel that that's something we've lost. In fact, I think we've gotten a little lazy. We don't have to memorize anything. We don't have to be able to tell a story off the tops of our own heads because we can just, we have it in the book, right? You look it up in the book and you read it, maybe in a monotone voice, is often the case with us. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get back to that original feel when the stories of Yeshua, they are true historical narratives, but they're also stories where those stories are just alive in our, in our minds. And, and we, just, we just tell them. Yeah, have you ever noticed that about a good story? It's really contagious. How many of you have seen a fantastic movie and you just couldn't help but telling, tell someone about that movie the next week? It was just a great story. It was a gripping narrative. And you couldn't help but tell maybe a family member or a friend or a co-worker or something about this movie. Well, guess what? The reason movies like that are so contagious is because they're stories. And the reason our faith is designed to be contagious is because it's the greatest story ever told about the greatest hero that ever walked the face of the earth. So, you know, this is the journey for me. This is the journey for us as a community. And uh, yes, we are, we are growing. We are taking baby steps. We're learning. I, I can't say I'm probably the best storyteller, but I'm learning, eh? And uh, I think that's the important thing. So I just wanted to give you guys a little, a little um, perspective on why we're focusing on the stories, why I'm trying to learn how to tell a good story, and... Um, why we're trying to learn to ask good questions about stories too and really uh, extrapolate, shall we say, meaningful, meaningful stuff from a story. So having, having said that, I have a story to tell you today about Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. And this story happened almost 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world in the Middle East. This story happened in the capital of Israel, 
the city of Jerusalem. It may have actually happened in a suburb of Jerusalem, so it may not have happened like in the main city in Virens, but in a suburb. Uh, Yeshua had some friends that he was fond of staying with that lived in one of the burbs, and uh, they had an upstairs room where they would do things like, uh, like Passover, the Passover celebration. So, this story happens right before the festival of Passover, when the people of Israel commemorate how, how Yahweh rescued them from Egypt and uh, saved them. And Yeshua and his disciples were in an upstairs room. It was uh, in the evening already, supper time. And Yeshua was aware of some things that were happening. He was aware of where he came from. He knew that he had been sent by his father on a mission. He also knew where he was going. He knew that he was returning to his father. And he knew the timing of this thing. He knew that the hour was almost at hand when he was going to depart out of this world and go back to God, Elohim. Yeshua also knew that he was in charge, that the Father had committed everything into his hands, that he had total power. He had been invested with authority from the creator of the universe. He was fully aware of this. He also knew that in his inner circle of 12 men that he had just lived with for the past handful of years, that he had spent so much time with, taking road trips, uh, people watching, uh, feeding the masses, helping tens of thousands of sick people. He just poured into these men. He also knew that one of them was two-faced. One of them had something in his heart that he wasn't showing on his face. One of them was actually a traitor. He was going to sell out to the group. He was actually, he had already taken money and he had evil intentions. Yeshua was fully aware of all these things. And so, what did he do? He got up during supper time and he went and he got a basin. And he put the basin down. He filled the basin full of water. And then he took off his outer garment and he put on an apron. Maybe you could say a towel or an apron, that kind of idea. And he did something shocking. He went to his first disciple. He put the basin down next to the disciple's feet. He had the disciple take off his sandals and he put his disciple's feet in the water. And he started to wash all the dirt and the grime and the camel poop off of his disciple's feet. And then after his disciples' feet were nice and clean, he took his, the, each of their feet out of the water and he dried them off with the towel that he had wrapped around himself, with the apron. And so he went around from person to person doing this. And something you have to know about the culture of that day is that that wasn't done. Uh, to wash someone's feet when they came in, that was the job of the, the slave. If you, had a, if you had a hired hand or if you had a slave at your house, that was also always the job of the slave. Um, in, in, in the Jewish tradition, a rabbi would never wash the feet of his disciples. A disciple would wash the feet of his rabbi. In the Jewish tradition, a, like a, a child might wash the feet of his, his abba, his dad, or a, a wife might even wash the feet of her husband. And certainly a slave would be expected to wash the feet of all the guests and everybody who came in. But you'd never have it that a rabbi a spiritual teacher would take off his outer garment and fill up the basin and take a towel and begin going around the room from person to person washing all the filth off their feet. 
It was shocking. And so Yeshua, he came to, uh, you could probably, they'd probably call him Rocky in English. Shimon Peter, Peter the Rock. He came to him, and uh, Peter, Peter um, in, in, in Aramaic he's called Kepha. So um, it was probable that they called him Shimon Kepha in that language, right? Kepha looked at Yeshua and he said, Master, you would wash my feet? And Yeshua said, what I'm doing, you don't realize right now, but you'll understand it later. And Shimon said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Yeshua said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Shimon stopped for a moment and thought about it. And then he said, well, in that case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head too. I'm sure Yeshua smiled at that point. And he said, a person who's had a bath, they only need to wash their feet. They're clean. And then he looked around the room at his, his Talmudim, his disciples, and he said, and you are clean, though not all of you. Why did he say, though not all of you? The original storyteller who wrote this down, Yohanan, John, he put it in a little note and he said, he said this because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Therefore he said, you're not all clean. So after Yeshua finished washing his disciples' feet, he put the basin down, he put the towel aside, he put his outer garment back on himself, his outer garment that had the tzitzit, the fringes on the corners, and he sat down. And he looked around the room, at, 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 around the table, at his inner circle, these men that he had become so close with over the past several years, as they had, as they had left family businesses behind, as they'd sacrificed family time, as they'd given so much to follow this itinerant teacher around and learn from him. He looked around the room at these men and he said, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me your teacher. You call me your master. And you're right to do that because that's who I am. Now, if I, your teacher, if I, the master, washed your feet, shouldn't you do that for each other too? I've done this as an example for you so that you'll do for each other as I did for you. A disciple isn't greater than his rabbi, is he? A slave isn't greater than his master, is he? So if you know, if you know these things, you're happy if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. And that's the story. And I want to I ask you a couple of questions and just think with you about this story and uh, think with you about how it applies to our lives, what it tells us about human beings in general, what it tells us about Yeshua, maybe what it tells us about his radical call to follow him as disciples, hardcore disciples. Is there anyone in this story that you can really relate to? I mean, you have, uh, you have Yeshua, who um, laid aside his status, who forgot all about his rank, who did something totally out of the box, Shocking, maybe even controversial. I guarantee you, word got around about that one. Maybe it would be like, uh, you, know, you know when there was an era where the men never really washed the dishes, where it was just expected that the lady of the house would do the dishes? You know, in some cultures, that's a very strong thing, right? It's like taboo for a husband to do the dishes. If you could imagine a hubby breaking that taboo and doing the dishes when like the room is packed with guests, people coming over, and you just think about like how people would stare, how people would 
kind of be shocked how every, all the guys would talk about it at work for the next week, right? That's what Yeshua did. Can you relate to that? Maybe doing something that makes, shocks people, that, that um, is out of the ordinary, that gets people talking, wow, you know, maybe in a positive or maybe in a negative way. Uh, can, you, can you relate perhaps to um, Yeshua in, in, in just getting down real humble, real low and, and helping and serving in practical ways? Or maybe, uh, maybe you've had a time when you could relate to Shimon Kepha's feelings. When he looked at Yeshua, like the Son of God, the greatest man who ever lived. I mean, if you could, um, let's even say, if you could measure people's lives in how many dollars per hour they're worth, if you want to put them on a, on a salary scale, you realize the Son of God is off the charts, right? Like, whatever the, mo- the highest paid CEO in the world makes per hour, Yeshua is worth infinitesimally more than that. And here's this guy, laying all that aside, and just coming on his knees to Simon Peter, to, to wash his feet, to help him in a practical way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can relate to his feeling of shock, to his feeling of like, ah, oh, what are you doing? You, you actually know I exist? You care about me? You want to help me? You want to wash something deep inside of me? Wow. Maybe, you can, maybe you've, you've been able to relate to, relate to Simon Peter's sentiment too when he realized what Yeshua was doing and he said, I want it all. Never mind, just my feet just dumped the whole basin over me. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of Jacob and how he wrestled all night long with the God of his dad and the, daughter, the God of his grandpa. And he said, I want, I want all your blessing that you've got for me. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to Judas. Think about this. In that, in that circle of men who had their feet washed by the Master was Judas. Yeshua came to Judas and he knew full well the evil that was in Judas's heart. He knew that Judas was a thief. He was an undercover thief. He was pilfering from their group's funds. He knew that this guy had already taken blood money for Yeshua. He knew that this guy was bent on selling him out for whatever reasons. And he still went to him and he still looked in his eyes and he still washed Judas's feet. Can you relate maybe to being, to being a Judas at some point in your life when someone was showing you kindness? They were doing good to you. They were a loving person and you sold them out. You stabbed them in the back. You hurt them. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Quite frankly, I think all of us are Judases sometimes. We all have our mean streak. We all have an ugly side. There's a, there's a popular song on the radio about that right now, actually. Kind of the whole sentiment of, it, of, of like, would you love me if you, if you saw my dark side? Would you, still, would you still be committed to me if you saw how ugly I can be? I think, so. I, I think maybe we can all relate to Judas at times. Maybe you can relate to Yeshua on the other side of Judas, serving someone who you know hates your guts, someone whom you know is messing with you, acting friendly and nice towards you, and uh, trash-talking you behind your back. See, these are, these are some of the people in the story. These are some of the, the feelings that were, that were running high in that room at that moment. And um, I think these are, some, these are experiences that we can all relate to at times. Um, what, what is this story, I'll ask you another question, what does this story tell you about us here and about human beings in general? Uh, Prince Albert is full of human beings just like us, just like the guys uh, that were following Yeshua. This whole world is full of human beings like that. What does this story tell us about him? Uh, one thing it tells us is that often we won't step out of our comfort zones or take initiative 
unless we're told to, unless we absolutely have to. I mean, these guys sat down at the table for supper and nobody washed their feet. Generally, the slave would have come along and the slave would have washed their feet. For whatever reason, the slave didn't do it. And so they're all sitting there, like, with their hands in their pockets saying, well, who's going to wash our feet? What are we going to do now? Right? How many of us can relate to that? How many human beings are like that? We totally are. I, uh, I, I just read, a, I read a, a fantastic quote by Seth Godin. He's like kind of a, a business guru. And um, he said, he, he, he kind of compared these three things that a person can do. You can either react, you can respond, or you can initiate. And to react is human nature. The, lo- the, lo- the, lo- the lower side of human nature. To respond usually takes some intentionality. And it usually indicates someone who is healthy inside. To initiate is unusual. And we, we see from the story that, yeah, we as human beings, we're not, we're not the kinds of people that will automatically be like, oh yeah, I'm here to help. What can I do to help? You know, when I, when I was growing up as a little boy, my dad, my dad and my mom taught me that really well, actually. Like, I remember them telling me over and over again, you know, if, uh, if there's a bunch of people running around and, and, and working on a project or cleaning up, don't just stand around and don't just go and run off and play with your buddies. Ask, what can I do to help? You know, go to the person in charge or someone who is obviously working hard. Say, hey, can I help you? What can I do to help? So what the story tells us is, we don't ask those questions when we're just left to ourselves. We're really lazy. <laughs> and also, this story tells us that very often as human beings, we kind of develop this culture. We kind of form these social mores. We, uh, we establish this elaborate list of taboos and who does what and who doesn't do what. And then we get locked in it. It becomes our prison. And even if it hurts us, even if it causes us to act in ways that are not the best. Doesn't matter, we'll still act like that. We, we definitely see that. We definitely see that in this story. It's like, they were shocked. When Yeshua broke a social taboo, when he did something that was totally out of the box, they were, they were shocked. They couldn't believe it. In fact, Simon, it sounds like Simon Peter, he, 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 he did not agree with what Yeshua was doing. He was like, you are not going to do this to me. <laughs> it's like the Son of God is right there and he's saying, I want to do this. And you're like, no, no. Like, I have, I have, some, I have a culture and my culture says you can't do that. Like, I have a bunch of friends and, they, and what would they think? Eh? So that's, that's something else that this story tells us. Something else this story tells us is that we can totally be two-sided as human beings. You know, we can, we, like I mentioned, we can be mean, we can be ugly, we can, we can trash talk and backstab and just be like, like devils. And we can flip and just Jekyll and Hyde the next minute when we see someone, we can be nice, we can put on a friendly face, we can smile, we can act like nothing's wrong. That's, that's like, that's, again, that's the dark side of human nature, hey? But can you see that in this story? This story, this story is loaded, just even um, with a psychological case study of us as human beings, the way we think, uh, the way we operate. And uh, maybe, maybe, you have some, maybe you have some thoughts too about that. I want you to hold those thoughts in your mind because I'm going to share a couple more thoughts and then I, I want to talk about this together. Here's the big question. What does this story tell us about Yeshua of Nazareth? What, what does this story tell us about how he relates to uh, the people in Prince Albert, the people in the city where you live. 
What does this story tell us about how he relates to you? What does this story tell us about his heart? If you could just have a look, look into his eyes and just catch a, catch a glimpse of his heart. What does this story tell us about what we can see of him and his heart? Remember, this isn't just a historical figure that lived a couple thousand years ago and had some decent teachings. This is a man who's alive today. This guy is around. Like, since we got together this afternoon in the park, he's been, he's been around here with us. If you could just imagine him walking in between these chairs, sitting next to you. That's how close he is. And he has won our hearts. Like, we are, um, to use the word, he's our fiancé. We are engaged to him. You know, in, in the Hebrew tradition, we'd say that we are betrothed to him. He's our coming bridegroom, and so we, we love him. He gave our li- his life for us, and we would give our lives for him. And so this story, this story just gives us such a, such a look at Yeshua and his glory, and I want to look at that with you. Um, one of the things that this story tells us about Yeshua is that he is not full of himself. If there's anybody on planet Earth or anybody in the entire cosmos that is humble, that is not full of themselves, that is just will look at you for who you are on the level, it's Yeshua. If there's anybody that is like secure in who they are, that knows who they are, and doesn't feel like they have to prove anything or flaunt anything, it's Yeshua. I mean, this is the guy that came from his father on a mission to planet Earth. This is the guy who is closer to his father than anybody ever has been or ever will be. Like, this is the guy who had so much authority, he could look at a corpse, a cadaver that had been buried for four days, and say, come out of there. And the cadaver would just, whoosh, he would snap back to life, and he would walk out of the grave. Like, that's how much power this man had. And, and you just think, like, even in terms of how much per hour this guy would be worth on a salary level. You think about how important he was. Most important person on planet Earth. More important than Pontius Pilate or King Herod or the Caesar himself in Rome. And yet that apparently didn't matter to him. You know, the story tells us that Yeshua didn't feel like he had to prove anything. He didn't feel like he had to stay in his little social status box, his socioeconomic status. He didn't have to kind of play by the rules of, well, I'm the rabbi and so you're here for me. You're here to take care of me, to watch out for me, to, to meet my needs. Isn't that incredible? Like if anybody in the universe could just sit back and be like, yeah, come and kind of come and wash my feet. I've got a bunch of dried camel poop on my feet. Come on, you guys, get your act together. It would have been him. What did he do? He went to his disciples instead. And he did one of the most menial chores. One of the, just one of the most, it was just dirty work. And he did it for him. And did, he, did, did he do that because he had to? Did he do that just to make a point? Was he like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Father, this is so disgusting. I can't wait until this is over. No. Like, look in the eyes of the master. There was such love in his eyes as he was washing his disciples' feet. There was care in his eyes. Never had any man loved like that before. And in fact, that's the way that Yohanan opens this story. He says, Yeshua loved his own who were in the world right up until the end. So it's such a picture of his love for his disciples, hey? Wow. There, there are a couple other things that Yeshua said in this story I, I, I want to look at with you. Is that this man is my hero. Like, I hang on his every word. Uh, you know, in, in, in my scriptures that I usually read, they have everything that he said in, uh, in red ink instead of black ink. I love the red letters. I eat the red letters for breakfast. I hang off of them. And um, 
I want, to, I want to look with you at a couple of these red letters. Uh, the first thing that Yeshua says in this story is to, um, to Shimon. Big, um, big mouth Shimon. The audacious disciple. Rocky. And he says, you don't realize what I'm doing right now. But you'll understand later. Could that be true today? You realize, you realize who administrates the universe? You, you realize who oversees international affairs? You realize who's the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler, governor? Yeah, it's, it's the Son of God sitting at the Father's right hand. So do you know what that means? It means what's going on around the world today, it's things that he's doing. What you see on the news, let's say this morning or this evening, it's things that he's doing. Now, is there, are there also the forces of evil at work in this world? Yes, there are. But God is still sovereign. Yeshua still has all authority. And he is guiding the events of world history to their glorious culmination in his return. Maybe we've had experiences in our personal life to, to take it off of an international level and just to look at my life, your life. Maybe you've had times in your life when you said, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? How could you let this happen to my, my family member, my friend? And I wonder sometimes when we ask those questions or when we wrestle with questions like, why did the, the Shoah, the Holocaust happen? Why do, baby, why do babies, why are babies murdered? Why do innocent people die? Maybe when we ask those questions, I wonder if we, we couldn't listen times and hear Yeshua saying, what I'm doing right now, you don't realize. But you'll understand later. That's a really hard answer for us at times. Great. I don't understand now, but I will later. But what about right now? Maybe sometimes he's just saying, just hang in there. Just wait it out. You will understand. Just not yet. That's something that we hear him saying in this story. I think that also applies um, when, we read the, when we read the stories about what Yeshua did for people, how he healed this person, how he um, raised this guy from the dead, how he was nailed on the cross and brutally executed. You know, we read those stories and sometimes we've heard them, we've all heard them many times. Sometimes I think we begin to, they begin to lose their shock value. We, our, our eyes kind of glaze over a little bit and we don't really think about what does this actually mean that this actually happened? You know what, sometimes I wonder if, if we, don't, we wouldn't hear also hear Yeshua saying like, you don't understand everything right now, but you will. And that excites me. That excites me that no matter how many times we've heard the Gospels, no matter how many times we've heard the accounts of his miracles, go back and read it again. Go back and tell that story again. Because you're going to understand more every time. Maybe that's something that we get out of this. And I, I, really, I really love that. Because like um, I, I, I was sharing with you earlier, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, when I was, by the time I was 16, I was, I was quite bored going to church. I, was, I, I thought my faith was rather blah. And, you know, quite, quite frankly, the, the brand of faith I had was kind of blah. Um, but I just, I felt like I'd heard it all. I felt like I knew it all. And quite frankly, yeah, like most of the stuff I heard in sermons or Bible studies was the same content, the same like baby pablum rehashed over and over and over again. All right, and quite frankly, we were not on a mission. Uh, we were not accomplishing our mission to make disciples. Uh, we had, we were almost totally ignoring the first like three, like three quarters of the Bible. So it's not surprising that I was bored, quite honestly. But even now, you know, as I read the Word, it's like exciting, and it excites me not just that I'm reading these things and understanding them, but that I'm going to get more understanding next time I read through them again. That that gets me pumped. So when I'm 70, when I'm 80, 
I'm still going to be reading this book. I'm still going to be getting like such exciting new um, insights into it and, and, and uh, fresh glimpses of the lover of our souls. Wow. The next thing that Yeshua says in here in the red letters, he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What does this tell us about Yeshua? What does this tell us about discipleship to him? What it tells us is simply, he is standing there available to everybody in your neighborhood, everyone in our city, and he wants to wash you. He wants to wash the people that live down the block from you. Um, my guess is you probably have people on your block that are living common law. You have people on your block that were abused as children, sexually abused. You have people on your block who probably are drug dealers and who at the very least probably do drugs. And I guarantee you, you have people on your block. You don't have to think any farther than your block. You have people on your block who feel dirty inside, who just wake up in the morning and they feel gross. And do you know why? Because they've done dirty things. Because they are dirty people. Because in the eyes of God, he loves them and he sees his image in those people, but they are gross. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. That's why God sent Yeshua to clean us up as human beings, to pull us out of the filth and out of the mud. You know what? That's good news. And I just, I'll give you a really practical application. You know, build friendships, like authentic friendships with people who are not like you, with people that maybe like really clean, conservative, religious people would look at and say, that person's a dirty person. Go to that person. Go to those people. Say hi. Ask them how they're doing. Have them over to your house for a coffee or a beer or whatever it is they like. Build friendships with those people. And you know what? Their lives are going to start coming up. And as their lives come up, there might be a time when you could ask that person, do you feel dirty inside? Just ask that simple question. Have you ever felt dirty? Do you feel dirty inside? Because we all do, if we have not met Yeshua. It's the Holy Spirit shining on the filth in our hearts, convicting us of our sin. And you know what? When they say yes, you can share how you felt dirty too. And Yeshua cleaned you up inside and he, he can do that for that person. He wants to do that for that person. So can you, can you hear the good news from this story? Can you totally hear the gospel resonating through the story? I love that. We also see Yeshua in this story saying if he doesn't wash us, we have no part with him. What that means is there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who have a part with him and there are people who have no part with him. And very often in, um, in the religious world, whether it be Christian or any other religion, we all want to assume, yeah, of course, you know, I'm good with God. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a part with him. You know, I have a share in the world to come. I'm going to uh, whatever your version of the afterlife is, the Elysian Fields, uh, Nirvana, Utopia, um, What's the Islamic uh, version of uh, paradise or whatever? Everybody, everybody's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going there. I'm a pretty good person. And what Yeshua says is, if you don't let me come and wash you, you are not going to be there with me. If you think that you're going to get there on your own, if you think you're able to just get there because you're a good person, because you like to sponge bath yourself every day with your little religious rituals, no, that was just a sponge bath. Your heart is still disgusting. And I want to come and I, would, I don't want to just clean your heart up. I want to give you a new heart that's so fresh, that's so clean. That's what Yeshua says. Something that this story tells us about him. 
And he goes on to say that he did this as our example. We're definitely not better than the Son of God. Are any of us greater than a rabbi? I don't think so. So he's saying, you know what, guys? If I did this, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Goes on to say, okay, great. You know this? But it's not enough to know this. When, are you, when do you really experience the joy? When do you have that happiness? When, when can you say, man, I am really blessed as a person? When you take what you know and you apply it to your life, you do it, right? So let's just, um, let's just finish this talk by asking ourselves, what are some practical ways that we can wash the feet of the people in our lives? Our loved ones and our unlovable ones. Do any of you have loved ones that aren't very lovable? Yeah. You have people like that at family reunions. You have people like that in your faith community, probably. There are probably people in your family and in your faith community that really bug you. You probably have co-workers that really bug you. And guess what? Yeshua didn't just wash the feet of his buddies that he was on good terms with. He washed the feet of Judas, who hated him and who was a, a really evil person. So what are some ways that we can wash people's feet? Like, what does that even mean? Like, in that culture, to wash someone's feet, it, j- it just meant, like, just helping them or serving them on a really, in a really practical level, right? What would that look like today? That would be like, if you could imagine Prime Minister Stephen Harper at some gala banquet, and he disappears, and the media finds him, like, in the back room doing dishes with the guys in the back room. If you could imagine that, that's what that would look like, Right? Like, just, just something that's really practical. Or here's another, here's another example. It might not just be practical things that help people. Have you ever had a day when you just felt, ugh, like, just yucky inside? Maybe you were on the verge of depression. Maybe you were frustrated. Maybe you just felt like life just didn't have any sparkle. Have you ever had a day when a family member or a coworker or your spouse was like that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Guess what? That's kind of like, um, I think that happens um, maybe just when you go through your day sometimes. Let's say you go to work and you have like some rock station playing that just has really evil music. You come home after eight or nine hours and your spirit just kind of feels a little gross. Like you just feel a little bit slimed. And you just, you just, you want to clear your head. You kind of want to get a little cleaned up, right? That can be a time when like to wash someone's feet might just be to be like, hey, you had a tough day. You know, you're feeling pretty down spiritually. I want to pray for you right now. I want to, as it were, wash your feet. You know, you're just feeling a little slimed right now. I want to speak the truth into your life. I want to tell you a little story about Yeshua. Maybe something like that. Could it be that those would be some ways that you can, um, that you can wash the feet of a loved one? Um, let's, just, let's just ask that question. Let's say for those of us who are, who are husbands, what, what does it look like for us to wash the feet of our wives, to serve them in practical ways, to, to, to meet their needs? Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in husbands and their call to pray for their wives on a daily basis. And I don't mean just like say a little prayer in your head that's not quantifiable. I mean like going to your wife and stopping everything and just putting your hands on her and praying for her and blessing her. I'm a huge believer in that. And quite frankly, like I have met men and I've challenged them to do that and they haven't done it and it makes me really mad because I believe that men like that are they're chickening out. It's like, well, I've never done that before. Well, I never saw my dad do that. Tough. God is calling you to bless your wife. It's a practical way to, um, to wash your feet. And so, you know, um, I'm sure there are a lot of husbands who have never done that before. And that's okay. It's just, 
Once you know it, you're blessed if you do it, right? And you know what? Quite frankly, I wake up a lot of mornings and I just, I'm not a morning person, right? I do, I am not very spiritual in the morning at all. After I get a cup of coffee in me, I get a little more spiritual, but it still takes me a couple, like, hours to really kickstart spiritually, right? It's tough. But I, I've, I've still, like, this is just in my life and in my journey, this has been a struggle, right? Because I don't, I don't feel like praying in the morning. Some days I wake up and generally be like, do you want to pray now? And I'll be like, oh, 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 I do not feel like praying at all today. I totally don't want to pray. Oh, oh. And I mean, like, it's, I literally get vocal. Sometimes it's painful, you know? But you know what? So just like, guys, we're there. We're all there. We've all been there, right? That's okay. Because it's not about how we feel. It's just about answering Yeshua's call. And, um, so, you know, I, I still do it. I'll still pray even when I don't feel like it. I'll bless my wife even when I'm only half awake. And you know what? It's rewarding. It's worth it. It's one of those things that just gets better with time. So I'm a big believer in that. Um, another way, uh, another practical way, I think the biggest practical way that we can um, wash the feet of our wives is to ask caring questions. Because you know what? Quite frankly, sometimes we'll just assume, oh, you know, I could do that for her. Oh, I could do that for her. Maybe, or maybe she wants me to do that. It's like, don't, don't, don't guess. Just ask, you know, what can I do for you? How can I wash your feet? Maybe she'll tell you something that you would never have imagined. Maybe she'll tell you something you don't really want to do. But hey, that's good. You would never have gotten that. Figured that out if you hadn't asked the question, right? So I think just uh, across the board, whether it be in a marriage or whether it be in any relationship, just engaging with the person and asking those questions, asking caring questions. How are you doing? You know, how are you really doing? Is there anything that I can be praying for you? Is there anything that I could do to help you in a practical way? It's probably, I think that's probably the best way to start washing other people's feet. And then, um, I don't know, I, I'm not a wife, so I have no advice for wives, but I'll, 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 I'll give you a couple examples in Genevieve's in my uh, relationship about things that she does where I really feel my feet washed. Um, you know, when, when Genevieve and I pray together in the morning, she prays for me too. And, and, and she knows me really well. So she knows if I'm on the verge of feeling depressed. She knows if I'm discouraged. She knows if I'm feeling fantastic and I'm celebrating an accomplishment. And she prays about those things. You know, she'll say like, thank you Yahweh that this happened yesterday. Or, and, and she'll speak the truth into my life in a way that nobody else can. And you know what? That washes my feet. Um, Genevieve just, you know, makes a point of looking pretty. And not just when we go out, but just around the home, you know. She'll, she'll, she'll put on some makeup and she'll just look good. And you know what, honestly, that washes my feet in a huge way. As a husband, I just, I appreciate that my wife takes care of herself and looks pretty, you know. So I mean, you know, those, those are a couple examples from our relationship. I, I've only been myself, I've never been anyone else, so I'm really bad at sometimes giving general illustrations. I'm much better at talking about, you know, my own experiences because that's all I've got in the bag, really. But those are those are some things for marriage. Um, what about what about like let's say our our children or our, our family and extended family? Again, um, I think it's it's the same idea. You know, asking, how are you doing? What can I do to help you in a practical way? Or is there anything I can pray for you? And and, and see where that goes. It's a great way of washing feet. Um, in our faith communities, how can we wash each other's feet in our faith communities? Now, this is one that um, I have an issue with. Very often in the um, in this, this movement that we're a part of, whatever you want to call it, it's a, it's a movement of restoration. It's a movement that is aligned with the Messianic Jewish movement. It is the, a movement of people recovering the Hebrew roots of their faith, of getting back in touch with the Torah. This, this, this movement, right? This, this big thing. Um, in this thing, very often, people will get a hold of the Torah and they'll get a hold of this freedom that they have and it's fantastic. They revel in it. Like Saturday 
is a day off and God doesn't want me to work, he just wants me to chill out, I'm totally okay with that. I like that idea, right? A lot of people will do that. And, um, you know, sometimes people will also really feel called to, um, to leave the churches that they were associated with and maybe there's a time for that. But then they kind of go into this gray area. They kind of drift into no man's land and they end up with no fellowship. They end up with no, like, tightly knit group of disciples where they can wash each other's feet, where they can serve each other in practical ways. And so, you know, I, I would say whether it be here in Prince Albert or whether it be in, in any uh, community, um, let's be really intentional about reaching out to other people, building community with other disciples, and having those open relationships, those committed friendships, where we can ask, how are you doing? And that person will say, I just, I just committed a huge sin last week, or I'm feeling suicidal today. Like, those, those kinds of conversations that don't just happen with people you just met last night or people that you only get together with casually once, or, once every month or two, right? Talking about real relationships. Let's, let's build those in our movement. Because you know what? If you don't have those, you can't wash other people's feet, really. It's a lot harder to do that. It's a lot harder to follow Yeshua's example. Did you notice that? Who did, whose feet did Yeshua wash? It wasn't some dude off the street that he just met that day. This was a group of men that he, he was committed to the death to. This is a group of men that he had like lived shoulder to shoulder with for several years. So let's find those people. Let's build those friendships. Let's find those people that we would like, we would be committed to the death to. That's the first thing I would say. Um, you know, there, there are some very simple practical ways that we can help each other in community. Um, sometimes, you know what, just, just encouraging each other, praying for each other, giving each other a card. If you haven't seen someone in a week or two, calling them on the phone. That can be like washing someone's feet. It's refreshing. It's a practical way of serving. Um, coming, when your community has a gathering, just being there physically, showing up, is a very simple but a very huge way of washing the feet of your community. Did you notice that? If Yeshua wasn't there physically, he could not have washed the feet of his disciples. So number one, I would say in faith community, just show up. Like just be there physically. Make it top priority. When your community gathers, be there. Don't let other stuff eclipse it. Don't let other stuff stop you. Don't wimp out just because maybe you're feeling a little off or something. Don't wimp out, right? Be, be like hardcore about community. That's a big thing I'd say. Just be there physically. Show up. Get together. Don't let, don't even let an army of Philistines stop you, right? And there are other ways. Um, giving financially to your community is one way, very practically, of washing the feet of your community, washing the feet of your community leadership. Why? Because you can't really get by sometimes without a financial base, without, um, without that, without that um, ongoing support, right? So that's another very simple way of washing people's feet. It's like, it's like duh, no-brainer, right? I think everything I've said are probably no-brainers for all of us, but I just want to stop and ask the questions, right? What does it actually look like to wash people's feet? This isn't just some rosy idea. It's not just some romantic notion. It's not just some ethereal thing. It's like, oh, washing feet. Yeah, stinky feet. Yeah, it's like, no. It's not just about getting someone's feet in a basin. It's about, like, taking care of each other in this upcoming week, right? Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. 
If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.